If you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, we are in, this, in a series in the book of Revelation, also Daniel. When I was uh, about 10 or 11 years old, back in New Jersey, I was working with my daddy, and we were cleaning out some brush at the back of the yard, and there was this, um, this hole that I saw in the yard, and I, I hit it with my hoe as I was cleaning out the weeds, and a couple of bees flew out. And being that I was only 10 or 11, I hit it a couple more times, and then a whole swarm of bees just... Zoom came up and just completely enveloped me and began to sting me. And I was terrorized. I was horrified. And my daddy said, who was working along a couple of yards away from me, said, run, Neil, run. <laughs> and I headed for the house. And by the time I got into the house, I, was, I had been bitten in my ears, in my mouth, in my nose, in my eyes, on my head. I was just covered. Just, just was... Uh, just, and what happened is I discovered the reality, the other reality of honeybees. You see, now honeybees produce honey, and that's sweet, and that, that's very sweet. It's, it's really nice. However, there's another side to honeybees, and I experienced the reality of honeybees. Now, sin can have the same effect. Can it? Now, what you have to realize is if you're tempted to sin, you're not tempted to do something that doesn't hurt you. Sin is pleasurable, amen? Otherwise, you wouldn't do it, would you? I mean, why would you do something that hurts you? So there is one side to sin, and the temptation is strong because there's a lot of pleasure to sin sometimes, amen? But there's another side. The reality, there's two sides like a honeybee. It can be sweet, but can sting you bad. Now, on television, we see all these sitcoms, and they always make a big deal about how, you know, living uh, a, a, apart from the scriptures is fun and just seems so. Lots of comedy and laughs, but that's not necessarily true. The reason I'm taking this text is our, our chapter talks about the reality of sin. And what we're going to see is there's... The world has rejected Christ. It has rejected the gospel. And now they're living in sin and they've enjoyed the pleasure. But there's another reality. The reality of sin. I'm going to talk about that. Right about that time you're thinking, wow, I wonder, maybe I need to leave. And uh, There's a game on it. (laughs) You're saying, you're not going to preach about sin, Neil. Uh, Yes, I am. Why am I doing that? Well, because that's what the chapter says. That's what the chapter says. Um, Now, you have to understand the context. The context is that uh, God is not the cause of these two things. We're going to look at some locusts, and we're going to look at an army of 200 million men. Uh, But God releases these things. He allows these things to come upon people as a consequence of what they've done, of the fact that they've rejected Christ. So, we're going to take a look at that. Um, the context is Jesus has taken the book, the seventh sealed book out of the hand of the one who sits on the throne as he breaks the seals. We've been through this. Uh, God begins to redeem the earth. God begins to set up his program for Israel. And God cleanses the world from sin. This is all part of a process. When we had looked where he broke the seventh seal, we found out, wow, the seventh seal is seven trumpets. So we find ourselves at the fifth and six 
trumpet as they blow. That's where we're at. I kind of go through this every Sunday because kind of coming in the middle of Revelation is just like reading a mystery and just reading right in the middle of the book. You think, who's what? what, what what's going on? Well, that's, I hope that kind of gets you up to speed if you've been gone for a week or two or maybe you're for, for the first time. So um, two sections, verses 1 through 12. We'll read that, make a couple of comments. And then verses 13 through 21, uh, we'll read in a little bit. So let's read. Then the fifth angel sounded, this is Revelation 9-1, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went out of the pit, the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and the power was given to them as scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment them for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. The appearance of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads... appeared to be crowns like gold and their faces were like the faces of men and they had hair like the hair of women and their teeth were like the teeth of lions and they had breastplates like the breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings were like the sound of chariots and many horses rushing to battle and they have tails like scorpions and stings and their tails is the power to hurt men for five months. They have the king over them and the angel of the abyss. His name is in Hebrew Abaddon and the Greek, he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. In verses 1 through 12, we see the first reality of sin, the reality of terror and torment. Terror and torment. The fifth angel sounds his trumpet, and John sees a star which has fallen from heaven. First thing that we need to do is understand the identity of the star. Now, it is not a literal star. It's not a comet. It's not an asteroid. Because look, in verse 1, it says, I saw a star from heaven, and a key to the bottomless pit was given to him. So it's a being. Now, the question would be, who is this being that's given the key to the bottomless pit? Notice first, John is looking at him, and he sees that he had already fallen prior to him giving the key. Do you notice that? I saw a star from heaven which had fallen. Perfect tense. Perfect tense. Happened in the past with results up into the present. That's the perfect tense. So he had already been kicked out of heaven. He had already been thrown out of heaven. John sees him when he's given the key. Now he's gotten the key. All right, so set that. Now look with me at chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 7. Now, chapter chapter 12, verse 7, is what they call a parenthetical passage. This is not after chapter 9, but it's just one of those events that takes place during those seven years. We had talked about this. There's events that happen. This is one of the events that happens during the seven years of tribulation. Look what it says. Verse 7, chapter 12. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angel waged war, 
and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for heaven. And the great dragon who was thrown down, the serpent of all, who's called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, power, kingdom of our God, authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb, because of the word of their testimony. They did not love their life, even when faced death. For this rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing only that he has a short time. Who is the being that's thrown down? It's Satan. He is thrown out of heaven. Now, do you remember in the book of Job, it says it almost seemed like there was a dialogue that oftentimes Satan had the power to appear in heaven. No longer going to take place. He's been, he's been out, excised. He's been thrown out. No longer he has a dialogue. No longer can he accuse, be the accuser of the brethren in heaven. That's not taking place. That's over. Now, some commentators think that when this happened was at the beginning of the tribulation. So he goes down to earth, and guess what? As he's going down, we're going up in the rapture. That that kind of works, that works. When he gets down to earth, he begins to cause his trouble. Now, at this point, he's given a key, a key to the bottomless pit. What is the bottomless pit, you're asking? That's a great question, great question. Now, do you remember in Luke, I think it is Luke chapter, where am I, my notes here? Luke uh, chapter, uh, I think it's Luke chapter 8, where Jesus is confronted by the, the demoniac of the Gerasenes, and he has many demons. You remember that? His name was Legion because there are many. And he was going to cast him out of that demoniac. And the demons say, please, please, send us into the pigs and don't send us into the abuso, the pit, the bottomless pit. Um, In Revelation chapter 20, after Christ comes back, after Christ comes back and he defeats the Antichrist, look what it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to the abyss, the bottom of his pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. The bottom of his pit, many people believe, is a place of imprisonment for fallen angels and demons. And at the end, when Christ defeats him, he gets the key back. He gives it to an angel. They chain up Satan, and he goes in the bottomless pit. So the bottomless pit is kind of a reserve, kind of a prison for demons and fallen angels. Well, back in our chapter, in chapter 9, the devil is thrown out of heaven, and he is given the key. And he opens the bottomless pit, and out comes this smoke. And out of the smoke come these, what it says, locusts, locusts. Now, what are these locusts? Well, as you look at it, 
you look at the description in verses 7, 8, and 9, they're not real locusts. They're not real locusts. Notice in verse 4, they don't eat any grass or any green thing. That's what normal locusts do. And um, they have a king, it says, in verses 11 and 12, whose name is Abaddon in Hebrew and in Greek is Apollyon. And uh, his, when you translate those both in Hebrew and Greek, it means destruction. Their king is Satan. So these are uh, not true locusts. They are, I believe, uh, a picture of a demonic group of beings who come out of the bottomless pit and they torture men and women for five months. Five months. They torture them of some nature. And men and everybody, it's so bad that they want to die. But during those five months, they can't die. They're just tormented. Now, notice it says they can't, however, in verse 4, do that to any of the men who have the seal of God on their foreheads. That's the 144,000. We had looked at those. It doesn't say anything about anybody else who happens to be Christians, but I would think, just including that, because everybody who's a Christian is sealed by the Holy Spirit, so I would think that that's not going to happen to them, but it, the scriptures say it says just the men who have the seal on their forehead. And it will get so bad they want to they want to die but they can't. Now not a pretty picture. This is the first reality of sin. Now how about you guys have you ever seen those ads for those movies, those horror movies? You know where say three or four couples go to this cabin in the woods and then there's, there's something in there that grabs and is pulling them into dark rooms and they slowly disappear one at a time. I don't like to watch those movies. I don't want to see that. I don't want to be. Some people go to those movies because they like the, I guess they get an adrenaline rush by being, ah, you know, some hair, horrible thing happens. I, I, don't, I don't know. And you know what, buddy? No, we won't look for hands. But uh, I don't like those movies. I don't like to be terrorized. I don't like to be... Filled with that kind of scared. Now, Nancy's a little different. Now, Nancy's not with it. She comes second service. We were watching a Tom Cruise action movie the other day, and, uh, and every time something bad was going to happen to somebody, she goes, uh-oh. And I'm looking over at the couch. What are you saying uh-oh for? And then she'd cover her eyes when something, you know, when there'd be a fight. Uh-uh. She doesn't like those horror movies at all. But the first reality, the first real reality of sin is this, this terrible thing that happens to them and the torment that comes upon them. And so, as a pastor over the years, I've had people talk to me about the struggles they have as the consequences of sin are beginning to envelop their lives. And you know what oftentimes they say? It gets so bad. You know what I've had several people say to me over the years? I just want to die if I could only just die and get out of this. But they can't. They can't. Terror and torment. 
Years ago, as a young man, I was living in a, I was living in downtown Newark, and I was renting a small room, and it was, um, it had been a big home years before, but they had chopped it up into a series of apartments, and I had a little small room, and I was renting there, and it was on the first floor, but slightly elevated from the backyard, and so there was a series of steps that came up to a platform, and there was a door, but they had locked the door because it was, years ago, it was a door to the backyard, but no longer was that. So they locked the door, but it was a half door, so it had wood on the bottom and glass on the top with a, a curtain hanging over it. And my bed was pushed right up against the door. And this is downtown Newark. And one night, I'm, I'm sleeping there, and I'm laying there, and I can hear footsteps of somebody coming up the steps. And my heart's going like this. I'm, I'm paralyzed with fear, absolutely paralyzed. And he's standing, or she, or whatever it was, was standing this far from me because there's only a pane of glass and a little tiny flimsy curtain. I could not even get my hand to peek because I knew there was somebody standing right there. And then horror of horrors, I looked over there with a little bit of light that was in the room and I could see the doorknob beginning to turn. And I could feel the pressure of whoever was on the other side pushing on that door. I was terrorized. I could not move. And then I, a couple of minutes went by and I heard the footsteps of him. I laid there for another 15 minutes and didn't move, didn't make a sound. <laughs> And that's, that's, uh, that's a little bit of a scary terror experience that I've had. That's the most terrifying moment I've ever had. And I, thank God he didn't break the window. He could have broke the window, come right in on me. He didn't for some reason. Maybe he was just trying to get out of the cold. I don't know what he was trying to do, but I didn't like it at all. Uh, these poor people are terrorized by these, these locusts and, and, the, and the, the torment that they go through. And that is the reality of sin, what it does to you. Okay. You're saying, Neil, this is terrible. Well, wait, it gets worse. (laughs) Look at verses 13 through 21 with me. Then the sixth angel sounded, and they heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, and the month were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen were 200 million, and I heard a number of them. And this is how I saw the vision of the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates, the color of hyacinth, and the brimstone, and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouth proceeds fire, smoke, brimstone. And a third of the mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, the smoke, and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents and have heads. With them they do harm. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, 
which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their immoralities, nor of their thefts. What I see here, verses 13 through 20, and the reality of sin, deception, and death. Now, we have to understand, first of all, who these four angels are that are bound at the Euphrates River. These are not good angels. Good angels are never bound. Only fallen angels are bound in the Bible. Now, the Greek word for angels is the Greek word angelos, which means messenger. It's a neutral term. It's a neutral term. Depending on the context, it can be either good or bad. Let me show you. Back in verse chapter 12, verse 7, it says, Michael and his angels were fighting against the dragon and his angels. So you can have good angels and bad angels. These four angels are not good angels. Why? Because they are given, their, their purpose is to kill a third of mankind. A third of mankind. Now, in chapter 6, verse 8, we saw one quarter of the world was killed in that plague. Now we have uh, a third more are killed here. So at the end of this particular chapter, over half the population of the world has been killed. How are they going to do this? With this 200 million horsemen and their riders. Now you're saying, what are these, Neil? Now, if you look at them, verses 17, 18, and 19, it looks like, well, they don't look like real horses and riders. Now, some would say that these are a demonic horde again, some sort of spiritual thing going on. And they have the power of killing people with smoke, fire, smoke, and brimstone that come out of the mouth of these horses. That's really strange. Could be a demonic war. There's other people would say, well, there's an interesting verse in chapter 16, verse 12. When we move forward, it says 16, verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates. Oh, there's the Euphrates River again. And its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. So what many people would say, uh, these angels dry up the river and it allows, they begin to lure 200 million man army from the east. Many would say that's China somehow getting involved in what's going on and they start a war at this time that continues on through the end of the revelation and the second coming of Christ and over a third, a third of the people are killed. Hmm. And what John is seeing is he's trying to describe as best as he can understand with his first century knowledge what he sees in modern warfare. Eh, that works. Uh, but the other, because of the description of verses 17 and 18 and 19, um, we're not really sure what they are. Uh, but they kill a third of mankind in this rather large war that goes on. Now, what we see here then is the reality of sin, which ends up in death. 
Now, we see that in the paper every day, don't we? We'll see somebody killed, somebody murdered, uh, some people, uh, some crazy man with a gun going out and killing people. Did you notice, however, what causes this? What causes that which we see in verses 13 through 19 to take place? Notice what it is. Verse 20 says, uh, false worship because they refused to repent. False worship, they wanted to worship their idols of gold and silver. False worship leads to sin. They did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their idolatries, nor their thefts. And what we see here is wrong worship leads to wrong actions. There's a direct correlation between them both. Okay, now, the question would come into mind as you look at verses 19 and 20. Uh, why, why don't they repent? When you saw, if you saw all those things, wouldn't you do? We may be thinking, hey, may I, maybe I need to get right with God. I think they've become so hardened and they've rejected the gospel so many times that they've come to a place where they have no interest in God, no interest in the things of God. There's a passage in Hebrews chapter 3. Let me read it to you. Hebrews 3, 12 says, Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it's been called today so that none of you, and here's the phrase I want to get to, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. They've been deceived and the result is they don't respond to the gospel and death comes as a following. So deception and death are part and parcel of the consequences of sin. Um, There's another passage. Where am I going here? Ah, James. Let me read James chapter... Um, James chapter 1 that's a good one there's a couple of verses I want to share with you where I get deception and death listen to this uh, verse 13 James 1 13 let no one say when he's tempted when he's being, I am being tempted of God for God cannot be tempted by evil for he does not tempt anyone but each one is tempted when he's carried away by his own lust and when lust has conceived it being forth sin And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. These people have been deceived. They have been deceived, and it brings forth death. It brings forth death. There is another passage um, that says, that people, ah, yes, it's uh, 2 Timothy 3. I lost my place there for a minute. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is an interesting verse. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy 2.26 says that people who are um, 
Well, here, let me read it. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive to do his will. You look at this and you say, don't they see it? Can't they see the truth? No, they can't. They've been deceived and they'll continue to be deceived. Oftentimes we see some, maybe a relative or a friend. Have you had this experience? And you look at them and their life is a disaster. Have you seen that? And you think, what's the matter with them? Don't, don't they see the life that they're living is causing them so much pain and anguish? Don't they see it? No, many times they don't. Oftentimes we have what we call an intervention. You know what an intervention is? An intervention is when you have somebody who's either an alcoholic or drug addict or is kind of captured by this thing that's ruining their lives. So they get well, all, the, all their friends get around, all their friends and their family, and every one of the friends and the family tell them the truth. Okay, Uncle Harry, this is the truth. And they go all around and they just dump on poor Uncle Harry. And what they're doing is they're trying to wake him up They're saying, you don't see it, but every one of your friends, every one of your relatives is telling you the truth. Can't you see it? Now, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. They've been deceived. And and deceived into believing their sin is okay, and that leads them to what we see here, deception and death. They kind of go together. They fit together. They would think, well, I've got control of this little issue. I've got it controlled. But you know what they find out? Sooner or later, it's got them. It's got them. And they can't see the truth. They can't respond to the gospel. And that's what we see here in verses 20 and 21. Deception is leading them to death. Okay, so we've looked at the reality of sin from two points, terror and torment, deception and death. Now, I just want to close with the reality of the way of escape. The way of escape. What can we do to make sure that we don't find ourselves in that kind of spiritual condition where we don't want to repent? We don't want to. We don't want to have any of that. A couple of thoughts and we'll we'll finish up. Here's a couple of truths about sin. Sin is always alluring. It's always alluring. You know why? Because it appeals to the desires of our flesh. Look, look, do you remember what, what, what tactic Satan used against Jesus in his temptation? Jesus was fasting for 40 days, do you remember? He was hungry, so what did he do? Make bread, make bread. Jesus was just beginning his ministry. And he he had all this that he had to do. And the devil said, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give it to you all. There's an easy way. There's another way. There's plan B. Remember that? Jesus was all by himself. He had no disciples back then. He says, listen, you need some guys around you. Why don't you go to the pinnacle of the temple and jump off? And everybody will say, wow, it's the Messiah. See, he was appealing to Jesus. And that's exactly where temptations will get you. It appeals. It's always alluring. 
Sin always involves a spiritual battle. That's the second thing. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your boss. It's not your stupid neighbor. There's a spiritual battle going on. Ephesians chapter 6 says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, so the battle is not with your boss or anybody else. The battle is with, listen to this, this is what it says, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. There's a spiritual battle going on. Sin is always alluring. Sin is always involves a spiritual battle. Thirdly, sin is escapable. Sin is escapable. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is come to man. And God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now you're saying, wait a minute, Neil. You don't know what my temptation is. Oh, so you don't believe the word of God? It says in the Bible that in every temptation, there's a way of escape. Now you might not like it, You might not want to do it, but it's there. It's there. I mentioned uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Just turn there with me for just a moment. Let's see, how am I doing? Oh, boy, I'm in trouble. Ephesians chapter 6. Look what he says. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Okay, that's the context. That's what we're talking about right here. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Here's the scripture I used. But against rulers, powers, world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness of heavenly places. Do we have any chance of, of winning against those people? Not, not a chance. Not in our own strength. What does he say? Verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist an evil day and having done, stand strong. Now, then he gives us some things, a way of escape. Look at them. Just, and I'll just put some practical feet on it. It says, having girded your loins with truth. Speak the truth in love. Stop lying. Lies or it will just, <laughs> just make a chink in your armor and he will get you. You've got to speak the truth. Stop lying. Number two, he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. No secret sins. No sins that you say, well, that's just the way I am. That's not just the way you are. It's sin. No secret sins. He goes on. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. Share the gospel. You know how to chase the demons out of your life? Just start talking about Jesus. They will flee from you. Just share the gospel goes on. Take up the shield of faith. Now, he's not talking about salvation faith there. What he's talking about is when the bottom looks like it's dropped out and everything is dark, you need to believe that God is going to see you through. Just believe that God is going to see. Put up the shield of faith. It looks darker than the hell, but I am going to stand and I believe that God is going to see me through. You need to believe that God is going to see you through this trial. Look what he says there. Number seven, verse 17, take up the helmet of salvation. You know what the helmet of salvation is? It's about your mind. You need to know that if the worst thing happens, you're going to heaven. You need to have the assurance that you're going to heaven. Believe it. You're going to heaven. God is going to win out. 
And he goes on. Uh, Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. How did Jesus defeat uh, the devil in the temptation? He quoted scripture. He quoted scripture. Psalm 119, verses 10 10 and 12. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Hey, look, Pastor Neil, right here, every month, has a has a scripture memory verse. Why do I do that? Because if you're having problems with your thought life, you need to fill your mind with the word of God. My heavens, are you doing these scriptures? I'm not a legalist here. Why do I do that? Because I know it keeps my mind clear. (laughs) And my mind's no different from yours. It's a little bit more warped, but (laughs) I need the word of God, and so do you. Study it, read it, memorize it, hide it in your heart. It's a way that we can escape. Then he goes on, he goes, and having done all that with prayer and petition, pray at all times. Having done all those things, you know, we have a prayer meeting here every Thursday from 6.30 to 7.30, and God is doing some powerful things. Every week, one of the pastors is in that, in that meeting. 6.30, right here at Calvary Chapel. If you're going through time, you need prayer. Come and get hands laid on you. Come and join us, pray. So, sin is always alluring. Sin is always involves a spiritual battle. Sin is escapable. Finally, sin is forgivable. Sin is, all sin is forgivable. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive your sins. You're saying, well, Pastor Neil, you don't know what I've done. I can't be forgiven. Oh, really? So you're so special that your sin was not covered by the blood of Christ. Is that what you're telling me? Wow, you're a very special person. That's not true. Now, there is what they call a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing you to Christ. If you do that, if you do that and die with doing that, you know what? You won't be forgiven because there's only forgiveness found in Christ and the Holy Spirit is the one who leads you to Christ. You reject, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, say, I want nothing to do with you, you're of the devil. You're going to find yourself in a bad place. Okay. You've been very patient with me. Let me close with a little fable. A frog was caught in a deep rut on a muddy road. In spite of his help of his friends, he couldn't get out. They finally left him there in despair. The next day, one of his friends saw him hopping about outside the rut, as chipper as he could be, and they said, hey, what happened? I thought you couldn't get out. I couldn't, the frog replied, but then a big truck came down the road and I had to get out. Someone once said, we won't change until it hurts too much not to. Let me repeat that again. We won't change until it hurts too much not to. This is not a very happy, clappy sermon. It's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be. 
I won't change and neither will you until you see the reality of sin in your life. And the grace of God that will give you the strength to say no and find forgiveness. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for uh, the love of Christ that constrains us and fills us and helps us and saves us, sanctifies us, justifies us, and empowers us to be the person that we've always wanted to be, the person that our family would be proud of us to be. Take this word from your Bible. Make it a reality for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.